Where does the worst betrayal usually come from? King David was a type of Christ, but did he also have a Judas? Was Judas ever really born again? If he was, what went wrong? Could Peter have been Satan's first choice as the betrayer of Jesus? Satan was able to enter Judas, but can he still enter people today? I want to know. It is my great joy to welcome each and every one of you once again to this week's episode of The Doctrine of Christ, because as you know, whether you know it or not, The Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. We emphasize that over and over. That's what we're here for, and Jimmy, it's a joy to be back. It's a joy and a pleasure. Missy and I were talking the other day about how to just keep peace on yourself, and and what scriptures say, he keeps him in perfect peace who keeps his mind on thee. So then we started talking about, I remember reading about Smith Wigglesworth, whatever you think of him, whatever. But one thing when I was reading about him was he always had a New Testament little pocket Bible on him. And no matter what he was doing, where he was at, who he was talking to, uh, the story goes that he would stop every 15 minutes and pull that Bible out and put his eyes on the Word of God for a couple of minutes, and then go back about his business. And, you know, sometimes that might not be feasible for all of us every 15 minutes, but we talked about, well, what, why can't we just do that once an hour, once at the top of every hour, or, you know, just whatever works for your schedule. The point is, even if it's one verse, if we would try to make that change in our life, I would imagine we would start seeing some uh, some major results. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, if people would just commit to memory one verse a day. Yeah. One verse a day. How much that would load your spiritual arsenal. Very, it's all loaded. It's all loaded for reproof, correction, mm-hmm. knowledge, wisdom, you know. Yeah. What you got for us tonight, brother? Going to call this lesson for this evening, Jesus prophesies of the beast. Jesus prophesies of the beast. From John, the 17th chapter and the 12th verse. Let's read the word of the Lord. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And of course, this is speaking of Judas Iscariot as the son of perdition, and it speaks of the scriptures being fulfilled, which takes us to the realm of prophecy. There were prophecies of this event in the past that were fulfilled with Judas. And we're going to see that this also is looking toward future prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. This is a very, as everything Jesus said, 
is just so profound. And in this statement concerning Judas and the fulfillment of Scripture, we're going to go back and we're going to go forward to try to get the total comprehension. And, of course, we won't get it all by any means, but we're going to get we're going to get plenty. We're going to get plenty. And we're going to go to Psalm 109. And in the 109th Psalm, we're going to look backward at prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled with this event of the betrayal of Judas. And it was indeed prophesied in the 109th Psalm. In the seventh and the eighth verse. And the scripture says here, when he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. Oh, my goodness. What a thought when your very prayer becomes sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Now, this is quoted in the book of Acts in the first chapter and the 20th verse in relation to the fall of Judas in Acts chapter one, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms and here it's quoting Psalm 109 and you can't get away. You can't understand the new without the old constant citations. Yeah, you, you can't that's all repay. they had. Yeah. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishop prick let another take. And, you know, we talked before in an episode about the choosing of Matthias, you know, and they got together. and It was like little Joe from Kokomo and they cast lots and they got Matthias. Well, I think Paul was God's man. We, we discussed that on a previous DOC, and we both come to the agreement that man chose Matthias, but the Lord chose the Apostle Paul. And I think that's really quite obvious. And in another prophetic text, looking toward this in Psalm chapter 41 and verse 9, and this is where we begin to see the tremendous supernatural qualities of the word of God, which is obvious all through it. But these books that were written over the periods of thousands of years, the amazing spiritual coordination to the finest of details is just absolutely amazing. And in Psalm 41 and 9, the scripture says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus quoted this very text at the Last Supper. And of course, this refers again to Judas, his familiar friend that did betray him. And in John, the 13th chapter and the 18th verse, Jesus quoted this very text. I speak not of you all. I know I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth his bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus quotes Psalm 41 verse 9 in relation to this event. So we're, we're having scripture fulfilled. And this is fulfilled in another level over and over. 
I don't, and it's fulfilled in the church uh, and in each and every one of our lives. I don't think there's a Christian believer that's watching this DOC that has lived very many years for the Lord, but that they have been betrayed. They have been betrayed by someone that they thought was a brother. And that's always the worst. You know, you expect the world to be the world. But when you have someone that professes Christ to do those intimate betrayals, that's what really, really is rough. And this was prophesied. And if you're well, let's read the scripture in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That's talking about the wolf coming in from the outside. But the next verse says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. This is the spirit of Judas. And anybody that has ever done anything genuine for the Lord at any point in time, they have had this happen. It'll happen. You can look for it. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. It will happen whenever you're genuinely trying to build something for the Lord. Now, let's look at Charles Spurgeon comment on Psalm 41 and 9. And this is where it just really starts to the layers of depth here just gets to be amazing. And Brother Spurgeon said this, and this psalm was written by David, and it had meaning right then to David in his life. It also had a prophetic fulfillment with Christ. And then further, we're going to see this, just like when Jesus said that the scriptures might be fulfilled, it's not just past, but it's future. We have an amazing prophecy here. And in Brother Spurgeon said this, this was a Ahithophel to David and Iscariot to our, with our Lord. And Ahithophel is a fellow that's not one of those names just jumps out at you in Bible history. But during the rebellion of Absalom, Ahithophel was one of David's counselors that sided with Absalom. He betrayed David to go with Absalom, his son, to throw him off the throne. And they did run him out of Jerusalem. That wasn't the end of the story. But how, that how was you, Ahithophel. How does a guy do that? I mean, you're around King David. And it was just like Judas. How did he do that with Jesus? He saw all these miracles and stuff. But like the like that guy, I can't I can't pronounce what his name was, but Ahithophel. He saw David. He he chose his punk little son <laughs> over David. He that's crazy. Well, and you know, uh, Ahithophel, you know, so many words. Well, that David, he committed adultery. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and I think if we would check the, the all the genealogies that Ahithophel was even some of Bathsheba's relation. I don't know just quite it was. So it was some family there, though. So, yeah, and I mean, you could see how the average person, yeah, that no good David, look what he did. Let's throw him out. But he was God's anointed. He messed up, but still, Absalom wasn't called to do the job. It was David. And he repented and he came back 
And what a great story for us with Psalm 51. And Spurgeon goes on. There's And see, it goes deeper than that. I'm not going to go into all that. But, uh, well, I will a little bit. So I'll save that for, for just a moment. But Brother Spurgeon goes on to say, uh, Judas was an apostle admitted to the privacy of the great teacher, hearing his secret thoughts and, as it were, allowed to read his very heart. Et tu, Brute, said the expiring Caesar, the kiss of the traitor wounded our Lord's heart as much as the nail wounded his hand. And and how true is that? Now, there's things that are patterns in prophecy, and sometimes I call them prophetic parallels, how things will work out in an amazing way throughout time. And I'll give you an example of this. And what big one of the big reasons for that is that there are dark spirits that are engineering the rebellion against God's kingdom. And they do the same. They, they, they're, they don't die. They've been around for thousands of years and they do the same old thing over and over because it works. <laughs> you know, that they do things that work. You can see it. But with most people, it'll work. You know, most it was easy to gin the crowd up to turn them against David. It was easy. Now, let's look at Second um, Samuel chapter 15, and let's look at verse 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 23, guess how Ahithophel died? 2 Samuel 17, 23, and when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself. How did Judas die? He hanged himself. Now, isn't it amazing? Here we have in this part of the prophecy, back in the time of David, Ahithophel was his Judas. He hangs himself. And you see that same, and that's because that same devil driving Ahithophel was driving Judas. And the end, that devil doesn't care for you. You know, he'll just have you kill yourself when you've done his job. Ahithophel hangs himself and so does Judas. That's just one of them little dots that connect that just give us insight to the real supernatural level of what we've got going on here. Now, there's also a much deeper aspect to all of this. Um, and this, again, is, you know, David caused a lot of his own trouble with his sin. But don't we all? <laughs> that was the first thing that popped in my mind when you said that. Uh, let's just get real for a minute. Don't we all? Um, and that's why, you know, David, uh, and my goodness, Psalm 51, that's so great. Uh, the psalm of repentance he wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. But in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, talking about David's wives and his second Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third Absalom, the son of Macaw, the daughter of Talmai, 
king of Geshur. Now, this little, you know, a lot of, well, the genealogies, those are dry. Well, boy, there's some nuggets here. They're there for a reason. They are. Now, what we can learn from this, David married Michal, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and had Absalom. Big, big, big mistake. He actually married into the Nephilim bloodline. And if Absalom, and this is the devil's goal, if Absalom could have thrown off David and ruled in Jerusalem, the Nephilim bloodline would have took control in Israel. Now, let's back this up just a little bit. And I have done, and it says here that uh, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, well, who is Talmai? And let's go to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 22. And the scripture says here, and they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishak, and Talmai, the children of Anak were. They, the, Talmai was the son of Anak, some of the most vicious Nephilim in the land of Canaan. Now, this Talmai and the father of Macaw were not the same Talmai. But you see, Talmai became a designation that uh, of, of the Nephilim king and the Nephilim kingdoms. It would be like today uh, if you would name your son Adolf Hitler and get him a German shepherd. You know, you know what's going on there. And the land of Geshur, it was right there at the foot of Mount Hermon, right there on the border of the land of Og, the king of Bashan, where was the stronghold of the Rephaim. So there's a lot going on here, a lot going on. And there's something here of eternal importance in the way these things are. And it, it is just amazing the way that this unfolds. And it explodes so much as the fulfillment of Scripture, past and present, now and future. Now, let's think about this and let's ask a question that a lot of people debate. And there are some good men that would disagree with me on this. Arthur Pink could be one. Uh, and I, I don't know, but I have, we talked before about Arthur Pink, how that he began as a dispensationalist and repented. Now, his book on the Antichrist was written while he was a dispensationalist. And in that book, he argued that Judas was never saved. Now, I would disagree with that. Maybe since he repented to dispensationalism, I don't know that he ever changed his view. But Mr. Pink, certainly a godly and a studied man, but I would disagree with that uh, for many reasons. And for one, it would put the blame for the fall of Judas, not on Judas, but on Christ for choosing him. And I don't think that's the way it shook out. But none was lost but Judas. Now, let's just look. Always the best way to understand Scripture is not to hear one man argue this, another man argue that, but just to go to the Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now, let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and let's think about that word lost. What does it mean to be lost? And I would say that you would have to, at some point in time, to know where you're at to ever get lost. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, just simplistically. I mean, this is just a 
one of the primary concepts of being lost or getting lost. Be careful now. Don't use too much logic here. Well, let, let's just look at this simple concept. I mean, that I mean, the Bible interprets itself so well. Luke chapter 15 and verse 6, which what? What a chapter. I mean, we'll have to do that sometime next season or sometime. It's so great. It's all great, isn't it? It is. But Luke 15, 6, and it, this is the parable of the lost sheep. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And at one point in time, it was a sheep that was found in where it should be. But yeah. then it became the lost sheep. Yeah. In verse 8 and 9. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. It was originally a piece of silver that was found. In verse 24, and this just gets so more profound, in the parable of the prodigal son. In verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He began, he was alive to begin with. He died and now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, this really defines this concept of being lost here. To someone that was originally alive and a son died, now they're alive again. You see, you can't escape this just simple, just the simple, straightforward concepts of just what it means to be lost. And in verse 32, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And clearly, the understanding of lost here and found is defined right here in the text of someone that was originally the genuine article, but then strayed. And in this beautiful story, the prodigal son was restored through the grace of God to that original state of grace and favor with God. Well, that's just three examples right there of, of losing, losing your salvation, I guess. It is. He was there. He got lost. If he didn't come back, it would have been bad. And the people that have to argue against the plain evidence of Scripture that Judas was never a believer, if they admit this point, then their doctrine is false. So they can't do that. If you're going to argue for that once saved, always saved or unlimited preservation, you can't give in. you got to argue. And that argument, obviously, I think it takes people against the clear meaning of Scripture over and over and over. Uh, Matthew 10, beginning in verse 1, when Judas was sent out, he was sent out with the other apostles, and he did miracles right along with them. Uh, Matthew 10, and when he had called unto him his twelve disciples— he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. And the names of these 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also 
betrayed him. And Judas, according to scripture, was sent out to cast out devils and to heal right with the others. Not any hint that the, everything here tells us that this was a genuine thing. It's, it's recorded as a fact. So we have no reason to disbelieve that which the scripture says, no reason whatsoever. And just think of the if I didn't know you. I could do something mean to you. I could flatten your tires. But to betray you, someone has to know you to betray you. The very word betray means there's a relationship that's amicable. There's a friendship there that has to be there before betrayal. So everything in just the very basic words, lost, found, betray, just the straightforward reading of scripture that Judas was originally very much a man of God, anointed by the Holy Ghost and was right there beside Peter, James and John and Jesus himself. So we, it begs the question, what went wrong? Well, let's see if we can, as always, the answers are in the word of the Lord. Let's go to John, the sixth chapter. And John chapter 6, and let's begin reading in verse 26, and a very profound event here. Um, this is right after feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in John chapter 6. And in verse 26 and verse 27, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. And Jesus was just right. I mean, he was popular. He had just fed 5,000 people. Man, he was the man of the hour. But for what reason? And Jesus confronts the, the multitude. Well, uh, and, and most of them were. They weren't there. They were there because they got the little belly full. Verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now, this was a real line of demarcation. 5,000 fed, huge crowd. Jesus rebukes them, and there's more here too. This is the passage of eat my flesh, drink my blood. I am the bread of life. He was really cutting to the bone for the separation of the true from the false. Now, Everyone should remember John chapter 6, verse 66. It comes to a head here. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? He puts the same, uh, he lays it out for the twelve as well as for the multitude, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The doctrine of Christ and the words that fell from his lips, those are the words of eternal life. You don't get them anywhere else. So it's either there or it's nowhere. Now, what I believe, I believe that Satan wanted Peter to be the betrayer. I believe he wanted Peter, and when he couldn't have Peter, I believe he found in the heart of Judas someone that 
he could have his way with. And I think this is the place where the strategy of Satan shifted from Peter to Judas. Well, and there's that other scripture where Jesus said, he was talking to Peter and said, Satan has requested, did he say, to sift you? But I have prayed for you. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. And and I'm sure that he prayed for Judas also. But and, you know, right there, this was the dividing line. Will you go away? Also, Peter said, you're the one has the words of eternal life. Judas at his heart, I believe right here. That's when he defected because he saw and, you know, the idea of the whole so many Jews had the idea, well, it's an earthly kingdom. It's going to be an earthly king in an earthly Jewish kingdom. We're going to have lots of benefits of lots of material blessings. And uh, there was the line of separation. Now, let's look at it in in Luke chapter 12. This is the text that you alluded to. Uh, Real, Real quick, they still they still believe that that's what the whole. Millennial reign yeah. teaching is they still think Jesus is going to come down here for a literal thousand years, rule yeah. on earth, while they go about go back into the temple and start <laughs> slaughtering animals again. It's just crazy. I'm it not is. trying to get you off on that. I'm just well, like, no, it, 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 it's the it's the very thing. Yeah, you know, over and over. You know, we, we brought these, and they're truth. The kingdom of God is within you. Oh, oh no, no, it's not. You know, my kingdom's not of this world. Oh, yeah, 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 it is. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a complete inversion. That's why we're here to say it's the doctrine of Christ that the words of eternal life, not what you're hearing on TBN. Yeah, I mean, I was laughing about it, but I'm not I'm not mocking these people. I, I, I pray for deception to be removed from all who will have eyes to see and ears to hear. You know, it's just... It does make me sad, but I'm like, how do you not see this? Yeah. and Because I'm not very smart. No. And I can see it, you know. Whenever whenever you go against Jesus, guess who's going to be wrong? I mean, think about it. Now, let's look at that text that you alluded to, Luke chapter 22, and let's begin in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He wanted him. You know, he just he didn't just wanted him to slip up and say a cuss word. He wanted him. He wanted him that he may sift you as wheat. Just totally destroy your soul. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And and he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And boy, Peter, you know, we, we talked about David messing up. Peter did too. And that ain't good, but doesn't it give us hope? It does. And, and what else he says in there that if, if you just kind of gloss over you. You missed something here. And he goes, and when thou art converted. I mean, doesn't doesn't that insinuate that after you after you betray me three times, you're going to run off. You're going to think you're not worthy. 
you're going to want to die. You're probably not even going to claim to to be a follower of mine anymore. But when you come back, come back to your senses and you come back, go to the go to the other your brothers here. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what it says to me. That's what it says. That's what it says. Yeah. And it's great. And it's great. You know, the the holiness and the grace of God are so beautifully woven together. Yeah, if you're denying Christ, you need to be converted because you're not. But the good news is you can be if you'll just repent. And we you can look at the things that Peter did, and he he, he had a way of just stepping in it. You know, but yet the Lord took that man. He took his courage, his strength and his boldness, and he made him into the leader of the apostolic band. That Pentecost thing, you know, that day of Pentecost thing that had a little something to do with Peter. After the Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, he preached the very first sermon there in Acts chapter 12. So God took that old rough fisherman and done something with him. Now, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. Boy, this is such a great text. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. These texts like this make me think of, and you know, David and Peter were a lot alike. They were both bold, strong, courageous men. And uh, they they just, you know, they're just like us. They didn't always do anything right. And they're there for our examples that we can learn from them and don't have to make the same mistakes that they did. And would also be remiss if we didn't go to the 16th chapter of Matthew. And you see, this started early. And I think that Satan really had his eye on on Peter in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 15. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then they charged his disciples that they should tell no man that Jesus was the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to shew forth unto his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, that didn't go along with the idea of a Jewish Messiah. Now, we're all with you. Yeah, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But when Jesus started talking about him suffering and dying, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. 
the flavor of this text would have us to think that Satan was speaking right through Peter, that he was making a serious move to sift him as wheat and to turn him against Christ. I believe that Satan wanted Peter, but Peter finally figured it out. Judas didn't. Yeah, I doubt Jesus called Peter Satan. No. <laughs> no. Now let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now the coming man of sin is called the son of perdition, just like Judas was. Now Arthur Pink argues that Judas somehow will be brought back to life to be the beast in Revelation 13. Now, I don't believe that, but no, Mr. Pink did. But there's we, we cannot deny the fact that Judas was the son of perdition, and the coming man of sin is called the son of perdition also. I mean, could that just been an idiom of the day for anybody who's a bad guy, you son of perdition? I mean— could it be used multiple times, you know, for different, you know, like we might just call somebody you dirty dog, you know. The uh, one place Jesus called James and John Zebedee the sons of thunder. People were called the sons of Belial. You know, that was an expression to just show what you're made out of in yeah. so many words. And, and I think there's something really, and of course there's something really special here, but let's read from Matthew Henry in his statement on this text. He said, by this apostasy, we are not to understand a defection in the state or from civil government, but in spiritual or religious matters from sound doctrine, instituted worship, and church government and a holy life. The apostle speaks of some very great apostasy, not only of some converted Jews or Gentiles, but such as should be very general, though gradual, and should give occasion to the revelation of the rise of Antichrist, that man of sin. And I believe firmly that we're in that time of the great falling away. I mean, <laughs> I mean, gosh, it's crazy out there. We know that. But I think it might be even speaking at a deeper level. Paul prophesied that there had to be a falling away, an apostasia from the truth of God for the man of sin to come in. But what if it actually applies to the individual? He's a son of perdition. Judas knew the Lord, and he apostatized. Could it be saying that the man of sin, the son of perdition, he will also be someone that knew the Lord and totally apostatized? That's something I want to note, Jimmy. Now. That's very interesting. What I do know is this. Let's look at. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about. That just made me think about, isn't it John and First John, or that talks about how Antichrist will be here, and now there are many Antichrists, or even now. 
What if that literally meant that these were all, you know, brethren and right there in that same text in first John, he said, uh, it, that they, if they were of us, they would not have left, but they've left for it be mad made manifest that they're not of us at all. Yeah. Indeed. We're talking there about professed Christian defectors, no doubt about it in that text in the epistle of first John. Well, how about this guy in first Kings chapter 10 and verse 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600 three score and six talents, 666 talents of gold. And we know the story of Solomon. The Lord appeared to him. The Lord appeared to him. And yet he went into rank, rank apostasy, idolatry. He built uh, pagan shrines for his wives right there on the Temple Mount. We know the story of Solomon. He was someone that really knew the Lord and apostatized. And I could do, there's so many more things we could talk about Solomon, how that he was a type of the beast that was to come. And one of the most perfect ones. And Satan delights in nothing more. He rejoices in anyone that's a sinner of rebellion against God. But his greatest joy is to take a child of God and turn him against his master. He did that with Judas. He did that with Solomon. And the the three, and I won't even mention them, but the three most famous black magic grimoires are all named after Solomon. And rightly so, we can read in the scriptures how he went deep into the, into the pagan things of devils and um, Freemasonry. They based their whole deal on the Temple of Solomon, rebuilding the Temple of Solomon. So he is a big, big figure of in the dark world, and he is a perfect picture of the beast, a son of perdition. And these things are leading me to really think about the fact that the final son of perdition will be someone that at one time knew the Lord, but did indeed turn against him. Now, let's look at something else very interesting about Judas. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22 and verse 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. He entered into him. And literally, we're talking about a total entering in and a possession of Judas. Uh, Satan was driving the bus at this point. Now, this was not the only time that we see this happen. And what it appears is that Judas was a vessel for Satan to enter in and out. You know, Satan is not omnipresent, but Satan, he entered in and out of Judas again in John chapter 13 and verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. And could you imagine there? At the final uh, giving of the Lord's Supper, that there is someone sitting at the very table with Christ and the and the others, totally taken over by the devil, devil possessed to the hundredth degree. And I think Jesus was the only one who knew it. 
the others had no idea that Satan himself was in Judas. That's something there to think about, too, isn't it? Now, let's just go back one chapter. In John 12, 31, we've talked about before. It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now, meaning the time when he's going to the cross. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Now, before Calvary, Satan entered in and out of Judas, played him like a fiddle. Now he is bound. He was bound. We read this before in the 12th chapter of Matthew. He was bound during the earthly ministry of Christ. He was cast out at Calvary. But let's read where he's coming back. So now, thank God, Satan can do a bunch. He can do a bunch. But he cannot personally enter into anybody because he is cast out of the first heaven. But let's look what's going to happen in Revelation, the 12th chapter. And let's begin in verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out in to the earth. Now, this really isn't that hard. John 12, 31 at Calvary, cast out. Revelation 12, they're cast into the earth. Out at Calvary, in here. Now, what we're going to see when Satan is cast back into the first heaven, the same thing will be repeated that was repeated with Judas he will enter into the man of sin personally, personally. Now, that's what's going to take things to a whole new level. And that's what's going to really bring the entire um, prophetic scenario to a head. Now, let's go to Revelation 9-11. Now, I want to give you a little Greek study to work on. In Second Thessalonians 2 and 3, that word apostasy is apolii, and it's the Greek 684, and it, excuse me, the root word is apolii. It comes from 622, the root word. Now, here in Revelation 9-11, we see someone mentioned named Apollyon. This is number 623 in the Greek. It's the active participle of 622 in the Greek. Now that's a little detailed there, but basically this name is an active participle of the same root word that's translated when Paul said the apostasy will come. This is like Mr. Apostasy here from the same Greek word, apollie. And of course, this is just the same is of the word Apollo, the Greek word for the God Apollo. But we know Revelation 9:11, and they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now, this king out of the bottomless pit, Apollyon, 
Let's see what happens. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Now, Judas is the son of perdition. Now, here's daddy. (laughs) You know, he's going to go into the final man of sin. And this this beast in the pit is going to enter into the final man of sin, just like Satan entered into Judas. This is what's going to change. I believe that we've got uh, the two beasts in Revelation 13. They are going to be personally inhabited by the hierarchy of the fallen powers, just like he entered into Judas, the son of perdition. Well, here we go. Apollyon is coming out of the pit. He's going to go into perdition. This is the the final go round. So when Christ talked about the son of perdition and the fulfillment of scriptures, it wasn't just looking back to Ahithophel, but it's looking forward also. And if, if this pattern, which is an obvious pattern, holds true, it's going to be someone that actually knew the Lord at some point in time that is professing to be a Christian, but is just going to totally betray all believers and uh, and Christ himself. We see it again in verse 11, and the beast that was and is not, he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And that is saying a lot more than just going into a place of destruction. He's entering into somebody and he's entering into this final man of sin called perdition and the son of perdition, just like Judas, just like Ahithophel. And we we have an unmistakable pattern here to me that's played out for thousands of years and is still playing out and will play out, I think, before our very eyes. And I want to read a little happy thought out of John 70, 12 to end on a happy note an encouraging note. Uh, the bad news is Judas fell. The good news is 11 didn't. No one is lost, but the son of perdition. That's the good news. Uh, Satan had his Judas, but the Lord had his Peter. Now, John 17, 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, I just want us to close out with the thought, and I want to read something from George Newton, his comment on this text. And Brother Newton said this, the things which Christ desires in the behalf of of his apostles and disciples. And the thing that he singled out, the matter of it or the thing which he desireth in the behalf of his apostles and disciples is preservation. Holy Father, keep them through thy own name. He wants us to persevere and he wants us to endure in faith until the end. You might fall down, you might mess up, but be a Peter, don't be a Judas. He wants you to make it. Jesus wants us to make it. He's praying for us to make it. He wants success for us. He wants us all to be a Peter and not a Judas. He goes on to say, 
While I was with them in the world, he saith, I kept them, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. And now I am even ready to withdraw my corporal and fleshly presence from them. And therefore, I beseech thee, Father, take them into thy tuition. And last week, we talked a lot about the preservation of the keeping power of God, even over and above uh, our own desires. And just think of that. You know, if God be for you, who can be against you? And I just want us to think, you know, here on the high priestly prayer, the things Christ desires for his people. And I want to read the words recorded in in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Such a beautiful text. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. This is the same heart. And, of course, the words of the Father, the words of Jesus, the heart of the Father here in Jeremiah 29, 11, that's the heart of Christ in John 17. He's thinking good thoughts for us. Just like we started John 17, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not an evil, to give you an expected end, to bring you to the end successful to keep them in the name of the Father, to bring us through victorious. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for once again being able to put forth your holy, precious word. Father, we just pray that you open the hearts of those that hear to receive your word and your son Jesus into their lives. Father, we just pray for that mighty anointing. And we know that if you don't open the hearts of men, they'll never hear. So Father, do what only you can do and open the hearts of your people. Open the hearts of the lost to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray and we agree. Amen and amen. With all of my heart.